Uh, there's a reason why I normally don't set up the scripture before I read it for us. Uh, I really do believe, you guys can go ahead and have a seat if you want. Uh, I really do believe that the notion, the idea of the scripture is that it speaks directly to us. It communicates God's, God's will and understanding for us, and nothing we do is more important than hearing the word of God. When I speak, I am telling you what I understand and what I trust the Lord has put upon my heart to help us understand the passage of Scripture in which we're looking at. But it is absolutely true that God's Word speaks to us independently and individually. And so normally, when we read the passages of Scripture, I try not to set it up because I don't want to force you to see the text the way that I see it until, of course, I'm working my way through and talking through it. There's always a possibility that God is going to speak powerfully into somebody's hearts uh, through a passage of Scripture in a direction that I haven't thought of at all, that I haven't taken at all. And so normally what I do is just allow the text to speak for itself. Now, I'm not doing that today, obviously. Uh, I'm going to set it up here a little bit because it's a slightly longer text and because I want to see if maybe you will pay a little bit more attention if you sense the direction in which I am taking things here right off the bat. One of the challenges of uh, a, uh, giving an illustration or coming up with a metaphor or something like that in a talk is that you want to make sure that you are speaking about something that the bulk of the uh, audience can kind of register with and, and appreciate. You don't want to use a historical example necessarily that nobody has any connection to or speak about some life experience uh, or a political event or a sporting action or something like that that people have a hard time connecting with. So you've got to try to come up with something that the bulk of the folks can kind of say, okay, I kind of can uh, connect with that a little bit. All right. Uh, so I'm thinking in terms of Star Wars, the Marvel movies, Lord of the Rings, uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, The Wizard of Oz, uh, Homer's Odyssey. Okay, something along those lines. Now, if, if something there didn't strike you, you can go ahead and leave. Uh, but uh, my guess is that something there triggered for somebody uh, some, uh, some, okay, yeah, I can appreciate this a little bit. The Christian life is a quest. The Christian life is a quest, a journey, uh, an, an arduous enterprise uh, that uh, is filled with dangers and is also has this glorious end and goal and purpose at the end of the, of the pass. The Christian life is a quest. Uh, all too often I fear that most of us don't live every day like that. The days are meant to get through. Life kind of carries us along. We, we kind of go from one step to the next, or at best we're focused on our families or our jobs or something along those lines. Now the faith is important to us, the faith is something that guides us and shapes us. Perhaps it sets up the principles in which we operate under. It, it gives us the kind of direction in which we go with. Uh, the faith is that which anchors us in, in our place. The faith is what maybe motivates us and moves us Sunday mornings and maybe Wednesday night, maybe early in the morning. For, I'm not diminishing the idea of faith, but what I'm concerned about is that we don't necessarily have the idea of a quest in mind, a journey, a, a purposeful direction, and that that is what is guiding our every step 
and our every day. I fear that all too often the Christian faith for us takes on a static, uh, a, uh, a sedentary understanding. The faith is important, but only in the fact that it sets up principles or understandings or it gets me into heaven at the end of the day, something like that. And what I want to encourage is a, a different way of understanding it. Our faith sets us, the scriptures push us, our Lord calls us to a quest in the same way that Gandalf sent off the hobbits or that uh, the Narnia children were taken into Narnia, or that Romeo and Juliet sought after their love, or that uh, Ulysses tried to go back to Penelope. In all of those examples, they were on a quest. They were on a goal, something that drove them, moved them. It was a dynamic sense in which they, this is something that moves us forward. That's what I think our Christian faith is supposed to be about. If you would, please stand as we hear the word of the Lord. If you are able, that would be great. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. But as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, grant to us an understanding of this passage such that will draw us and move us on Further and further, in our faith and love and service to you, we pray. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Of course, please be seated and grab your Bibles. As always, I think it'll be beneficial to have them in front of you. Uh, after this, some of you can come up and say if it worked or not to set up the passage before we read it. Uh, my idea, of course, is captured by how much Paul here speaks and drives us on towards uh, a, a, a a quest, an adventure. What Paul is saying here in his language is he's setting this up in terms not just this is what you believe, not even this is what you are to do, but rather there's that motivating, adventurous type of thing. Now, when I'm using quest, I'm talking about 
you know, a long and arduous enterprise that is filled with dangers and struggles and that at the end there's this glorious purpose and aim that is set forth for us. I walk through people at the end of their stages of their lives and all too often they don't talk like they are moving on to the next stage in the quest. They're often happy that they are soon to see the Lord. They're often satisfied that they are moving into, uh, that they're leaving the struggles of this life behind. But I don't often hear the, the passion, the drive, the excitement that, hey, here is the next stage in the journey. Here is the next step along the quest that God has set me on. And yet I think that's what this passage sets up for us. I think that it encourages us to look at the life in which God has called us into, not simply as something that we are to believe and to rest in and to trust in, although the scripture uses all that kind of language and that's appropriate in some settings, but that it's driving us forward and that that drive should be essential in the way in which you every day get up and wake up and pursue the life in which God has given you. Now, this is not a carpe diem sermon. You know, I'm not trying here to say, make sure you seize the day and make sure you live life to the fullest and all that kind of stuff. What I'm trying to say is that the Christian life itself is set up for us as a quest, and we should approach it, I think, exactly in those terms. Take a look, for instance, at how Paul starts this passage. But as for you, O man of God. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's connecting this to the previous section. If you've been here over the past couple of months, you know that we've been working our way through 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy has in mind Paul's instructions to his young protege in largely two different areas, both of which I think have direct application, as all Scripture does, to this congregation. The first is to guard and to promote the truth. The idea that there is false teaching out there and the idea that it is so much more damaging than what we normally associate with and understand it, is Paul's underlying theme throughout this entire text. Timothy, be wary of false teaching. It's so much more damaging than what you could believe. That's the first theme. The second one grows out of it. For if we pursue the truth, and if the pursuit, if the truth is that which we hold passionately to, then for sure, we will experience the godliness, the intimacy, the drawing close to the Lord, the reflecting the Lord in and through our lives that Paul desires for us, that the scriptures make clear is God's design for us. That is why he created us. That is certainly why he redeemed us. And so Paul puts forward to Timothy, he says, these two things, Hebron Church, these two things, hold fast to the truth and pursue godliness in every way. And he sets it up often by contrast, by saying, don't be this way. And we've just come off of that section in the beginning of chapter 6, where Paul says, don't be like this. Instead, he says, but as for you, O man of God. Now, this is the first trigger for me that we are on a quest here. Uh, Man of God is a term that is used in the scriptures almost always to identify those heroes of the faith. Moses. Joshua, David, Samuel, the prophets, Elijah, uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah. These are the men of God, the, the heroes of the faith. 
This is an unusual term Paul uses for Timothy here, and I think what he's doing in part is he's connecting him to that historical past, but he's also reminding him, hey, this is what is ahead for you. You are to be, we are to act, every one of us, every day, as those heroes of the faith. And what do heroes of the faith do? They go on quests, and you can see that right off the bat here. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. What things again? The things that we were just talking about. And if you read that section earlier in chapter 6, if you haven't thought it through or remembered it, Paul here is warning of having ourselves distracted by the material things in this world. Don't get knocked off the path. Don't reorient your thinking, but stay locked on the goal that God has set before you, the goal of being here for Jesus Christ. And so consequently, Paul then says to the man of God, to the hero on the quest, flee these things. Now the word flee here is in the present tense. It, it, what, he, what Paul means by this is not just run away from it. By the way, flight is a key component of spiritual health. Flight is a key component of spiritual health. More than just once in the scriptures, we are told to flee that which is evil, the seductress that comes along, the materialism of this world, the when Satan is knocking on the door, the temptations that surround us, the scripture calls us to flee from these things. Now, that's not the only command in the scriptures. There's also the text where we are told to stand and fight. And there are times where it's appropriate just to ignore it and to move on, move past the temptation, move through the temptation, ignore what is going on. Sometimes the call is to fight it and to oppose it and to strive against the temptation. But often the challenge is to flee the temptation. And this is the beauty of going on this quest with fellow characters, with other misfits, with other people along the path together. This is why all those great quest stories always have a bunch of people going on the journey together so that to collectively they can help them through the struggles because that's what happens in the journey, in the quest. There are dangers all around us. How do we handle those dangers? One of the ways here is flee. As I was saying, the, the phrasing, the way in which the word comes to us is not just turn and run the other way, but be constantly taking evasive action. I like that kind of idea. Along your quest, be constantly taking evasive action when you are confronted by sin, when you are confronted by temptation, because there are struggles along the way. There are difficulties that are confronting you. There are dangers on every quest, and certainly on this one. One of the great fallacies of uh, simple, simplistic, cheap Christianity is the idea that somehow being a Christian is going to save you from the struggles, from the trials, from the struggles of this life. That's never the biblical model. The biblical model is that you are on a quest, and that quest has dangers in front of it. 
You must learn how to handle those things. What are some of the dangers again? Well, in verse verse 11, Paul refers to the ones that happened beforehand, but he reiterates some of these in verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Uh, The the word haughty here is hyper-minded. Don't be so haughty and proud of what you are, nor set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hopes on God. Here, the challenge is the, the danger that the questers are being warned about, those who are on this adventure, the, the danger here is being warned about is don't let your focus get turned away from what you are supposed to be keyed in on. Where is your mindset? Not upon the riches of this world, but upon God. What is the point of your life? Not upon your comfort or your satisfaction but upon the Lord. Think back through all the quests in which we've talked about. Uh, the, the sirens that are trying to waylay Ulysses, or the dark side that is tempting Luke Skywalker, or the temptations of the ring for Frodo, or, you know, all of these things. Who went on the greatest of all quests? Jesus Christ. The temptation in the garden in which he was faced, that he faced with. Every one along these quests are temptations, and the temptation is to get knocked off the journey, to be taken away from the path that the Lord has put us on, and to knock us into some other direction. And that's specifically the warnings here that Paul says here, beware of the dangers that are inherent upon this quest. Well, if you avoid the dangers, what are you supposed to pursue? At the end of verse 11, pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. This is the aim of the quest, or, or this is the, these are the things that you will bump up with as you move along in this quest that God has called you to. What are the, some of the things as you move along the journey that is before? What are some of the companions that you are going to go on with? If indeed we are following that journey, that path. Have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? It is a marvelous story. And it is a story about a man who was on the quest of the Christian life. And along the way, he keeps running into different companions that he goes with him. And these are some of the companions that Paul says that we are to pursue. These are some of the goals that we're supposed to run into. These are some of the aims of the journey itself. Pursue righteousness. Righteousness, I think, in this context is Paul saying, pursue that right relationship that you have with other people. Along that journey, you should be connecting with other believers, other people on the journey, and it should be reflected in the way in which you connect with them. One of the great sadnesses of being a pastor is realizing that there are people in our congregation that do not connect. Now, you can't force people to be friends. You can't force people to connect. I realize that. But one of the great sorrows is that it's clear in the Scriptures that we are supposed to have those horizontal relationships with each other that stand out that are remarkable, that are not of this world. And it hurts me 
when I don't feel that, or when I see other people do not feel that. Because righteousness is a necessary part of our walking along this journey together. Not just righteousness, but also godliness. Again, godliness, that sense of intimacy, that sense of, of connectedness with God. The, if righteousness is this horizontal kind of a picture, godliness is this vertical picture. It's this idea of standing rightly with God and reflecting that rightness in the rest of this world. There should be an ongoing transformation in your life. Now, it can be slow. It can be so slow that you can't see it. But nevertheless, there is that developing godliness that comes if you're pursuing the journey, if you are on that quest eagerly and intentionally. Godliness comes. Faith and love, two of the three, along with hope, the cardinal virtues of the Christian faith. As you are going along this journey, we are becoming more and more Christ-like. That's the promise, not of what we do, but the promise of what the Holy Spirit does in us. When we are on this quest, transformation is indeed taking place. Steadfastness, uh, a courage, a perseverance, a determination. You, you can't read any of the books that I mentioned or know any of the stories or watch any of the mo movies without noticing that there's a tremendous uh, steadfastness, perseverance that is built up in any quest. And so it is for the Christian. There is a, if Christianity were easy, it'd be easy. It's not. It's a challenge that God has blessed that we persevere through. The perseverance. And yet, unlike a lot of these other quests in which I've talked about, there's a character that should come along with the Christian quest that is kind of distinct for us. It is that gentleness. Gentleness mentioned in the scriptures applied to God himself. Jesus Christ, who is gentle with us. That gentleness should mark your Christian quest. Now again, there are personalities where that comes easy. Uh, and I'm not talking about a personality here. I'm talking about a characteristic, a character trait that God is building into every one of us, even the most ungentle among us. Because gentleness is part of the quest. Look at the struggle of the quest here for a second. The struggle of the quest is in verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, again, what is the good fight of the faith here? Of the faith, this is not fight really hard, strive really hard to believe really hard. No, this is the faith, the, the, the essence of the teaching, the teaching of the gospel. Fight the good fight that the gospel holds forward is essential to our understanding. Fight that. Now, the fighting, the word fighting in, in English rings to, uh, in our mind very much so in terms of violence and uh, uh, you know, warfare, something along those lines. And a, a much 
better picture, of course, uh, with the Greek that's being portrayed here, is the, is the fight of an athlete, is the struggle, is the striving of an athlete. Fight for the truth of the gospel in such a way, and, and, and we, all want, we want our athletes, and we want ourselves when we participate in any athletic, uh, any athletic endeavor, we want to be exhausted at the end. We want to be tired. We want to be worn out. We want to leave it all on the field and all that kind of stuff. And this is Paul saying, make sure you leave it all on the field. Make sure that you give of yourself so completely and totally to this quest that you fight the good fight. That, that fight there, the first one is, is make sure that, you're, that you have given of everything that you have. And this is that, that this, when I hit this passage, this, this text, and thought it through, this is where that questing motif really runs in my mind. Because here it is, you, you cannot, every quest runs into difficulties. Every quest you want to give up and is the success of those who are pushing through, that are striving for what God has laid out before us. What is the goal or the end or the purpose of all of this striving? This is beautiful. Look in verse 15. He who is, do you remember at the end of Star Wars, the award ceremony where everybody's cheering and, you know, Luke Skywalker looks lovingly at uh, Leah and all this kind of stuff, or, uh, you know, or, or Penelope and Ulysses when they are finally reunited after all of the long trials, or, uh, you know, Christ in the resurrection. There is an outburst of joy and of song and of, of victory and that's what's played for us here as the end and the goal of our Christian quest. Look at verse 15. Jesus, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who, uh, al- who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You cannot read those words and not be excited. You can't hear those words without hearing them as, as, a, as a, 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 an uplifting victory song of the quest. Where do we end at the end of this thing? What is the goal that is at the end? It's not heaven. It's not our death. It's not our perfection. It is Jesus Christ. He is the one. Everything that we do, every aspect of your quest, the struggles that try to knock you off course and the goals that we pick up along the way, everything is leading us to that one great moment where we stand face to face before our Lord and we see him as he truly is. That's this picture. Notice it's the blessed and only sovereign, the blessed here, the idea of the goodness of our God. Um, Even in our time period, people doubt the goodness of God. We're okay with the strength of our Lord. But here Paul starts out by reminding us, this is not just an all-powerful God. This is an all-good God as well. The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. And here we're not just saying God God is immortal, but because God is immortal, Because God never dies, he has the ability to give to us eternal life. What's at the end of this quest is Jesus Christ 
himself. That's what should drive us onward. Remember all the, all the quests that we've been talking about and when the heroes get exhausted and they get worn down and the temptations cause them to lose focus, what constantly is put forward to them? The beauty of the goal. Whatever is at the end of the quest is that thing which is far worth pursuing. What is well worth pursuing in the Christian quest? It is Jesus Christ himself in every possible way. How are we supposed to do this? I don't know about you, but all of this excitement is exhausting. How are we supposed to faithfully pursue everything that we've been talking about here? The means of the quest is right at the end. Grace be with you. At the end of everything that Paul has said, as he wraps up this entire letter, with everything that he said about how to run the church, everything he said about fighting for the good fight, everything he said about trying to preserve the truth and to pursue godliness, at the very end. Now, grace be with you at the very end can sound like just a, a throwaway line. If you get a letter from me that says, Dear Joe, uh, I actually don't want you to sit there and think, oh, I'm dear to Henry, because uh, you're probably not. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it's just a convention for me to write. Uh, well, it could be just a convention for Paul here to end his letter by saying grace to be with you. But I don't think so. If I sign my, my, my letter to you sincerely, Henry, I'm probably not very sincere. But I think when Paul ends this letter and says grace be with you, he has every intention for you to say, as I pursue this quest, as I move through the faithfulness of my time, as God has called me here, I need, you need, every day, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to make it all possible. And so Paul reminds us, he wraps up the letter by saying, now know this, brothers and sisters, as you leave this place, Grace will be with you. Grace will be with you. Lord Jesus, we need that grace to be with us, for you have called us to a great quest, to a great challenge, a wonderful life, Lord, that is easy for us to take for granted and to miss the dynamism, the, the excitement, the adventure of the quest that you have given to us. Father, we don't want that to happen. We don't want that to mark our lives, but rather... Lord, we want to be men and women eager to pursue the faith that you have given to us. Grant to us that blessing now and forever, we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.